Welcome back, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to a very exciting episode of the Dick Rogers Space Detective Podcast. Extra reverb on that, Mike. No problem. We're finally going to get closure on a story thread we've had to leave hanging for way too long. And this one goes all the way back to episode one. If you've been holding your breath, waiting to see how the saga of the frogmen from Neptune concludes, you may now exhale. (sighs) There's just one itty bitty tiny caveat. Wait, what? Nothing important, really. Oh, good. You had me worried for a second there. I was afraid you were going to say that after months of searching, we only found part three, and part two may remain lost forever. Um, did you not read the session notes before we started? That's literally... (laughs) Had you going, didn't I? I just thought it might be fun to ease the listeners into the disappointment with a fun bit. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's basically what happened. (laughs) Wow. I guess I really threw you off your flow. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Mike, where were we? Uh, let me check the notes, okay? Intro, segue into talking about the lost episodes. Eleanor disrupts things. Sorry again. Talk about finding episode three. Uh... Uh, right. Well, I guess I can get into things a little bit before we intro the app. If you've been with us from the start... Or from the live streams before the start... You'll remember Dick Rogers and the Fury of the Frogmen. Part one of a three-part story arc. And you'll definitely recall our lack of completion on the trilogy. But we had at least found the original titles. Ooh, give me some reverb. Future of the Frogmen and Finale of the Frogmen. Well, after contacting all our contacts, combing through the documents we've been able to track down, and generally stretching our investigative resources thin... Like Dick would do in a real space mystery. We managed to track down another dusty reel-to-reel tape, including original commercials and everything. But only for the finale. If Future of the Frogmen ever surfaces, we'll do something special to combine the three. But we thought the recap at the beginning of the episode would at least get you through the missing story beats. I still sort of feel like we should have just waited. It seems like we're missing a lot of the color and feeling of the Frogmen civilization. And how they learn to speak English? But until and unless that day comes, we at least wanted to give you story closure. So, without further ado, we now present... Dick Rogers and the Finale of the Frogmen! In the darkest dungeon on the deepest level of the subaqueous fortress on the planet Neptune, Dick Rogers' space detective sits. Cold and weary in the stark, spartan, steel prison cell, he at least has the company of his dear Leslie. These two prisoners of the heartless and technologically superior frogmen of Neptune have nearly lost hope of rescue for themselves, or for the scientists the galactic investigative force had sent them to rescue. They've been foiled at every turn, betrayed by Professor Willis, and locked up in this tomb-like dungeon. But, dear listeners, even in the icy grip of despair, the indomitable spirit of Dick Rogers is unbroken. The pride of the gif will never give up in the face of danger. Welcome back for the third and final installment of Dick Rogers vs. the Frogmen from Neptune. 
In the previous two episodes, our hero and his team were called to investigate a science outpost orbiting Neptune that had been attacked. When they arrived, they found the outpost empty and silent, but Dick had been able to piece together the clues. He called on his massive powers of diplomacy only to be met with hostility from the fierce and hideous frogmen who reside on the ocean planet. The team was brought down to the planet under heavy guard and bore witness to the technological might of this alien species. They marveled at the beautiful architecture, incredible technology, and the moving and advanced arts and culture we described in great detail in last week's episode. But when diplomatic relations inevitably broke down under the unrelenting ideology of the frogmen, Dick found himself betrayed by the professor who had apparently been swayed by their scientific superiority. These monstrous aliens proceeded to lock Dick and Leslie up in a tiny cell deep in their underwater warrens. This cell is where we join our hero after a word from our sponsor, the American Lead Council. Do you own a home? How about an automobile? Are you a sportsman, an artist or art fancier, somebody who appreciates the finer things in life, or even just the simple modern conveniences that make modern life so sweet? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then your life has been lovingly caressed by lead. Yes, lead. A magical silver gray material that has been known and used by humans for many centuries, but has never been more relevant to modern life. The fine folks of the American Lead Council have generously sponsored tonight's episode of The Adventures of Dick Rogers, Space Detective, with the goal of shedding some light on the ways that humble, unassuming lead makes everyday life in America sweeter, brighter, safer, and more beautiful. And we'll get into the details as tonight's episode unfolds. And now, in this dark and cramped cell, Dick and Leslie wait and plan their escape. Come on, Dick! I know if we put our minds to it, we can figure out a way to escape. We're doomed. Remember that time you broke me and the professor out of the dungeon of that warlord on Deimos? Yes, I I found a tachyon torch and melted through the cell wall. And you only burned off one of my eyebrows. And then I fought through 30 guards, blew up the armory, and, and burst into the warlord's chamber. Then I pulled my serrated vibro knife and brought him to justice. And I know if you put your mind to it, you can figure out a way out of this predicament, too. You're right. I'll just find a... a grab a guard, and, but I've never been the one inside the cell before. I don't have any weapons, tools, resources. Oh, we're done for. All of our missions over the last four years, and this is how it ends. In the cell of some frog beast in the water planet. I'm sure they've locked the door, thrown away the key, and forgotten us entirely. We'll starve in this lightless metal box. Dick, we've only been in here for five minutes. I'm sure they'll bring us food and water. It's not even that dark. There's light coming through the grill in the wall. Oh, dear, sweet Leslie. Can't you see this is the end for us? It's hopeless. But we have to keep our wits about us. I can't do it all on my own. If you've given up hope, maybe we really are done for. (gasps) Wait, Leslie. I can't bear to hear you cry. Well, if there's no hope for escape... There has to be a way. Of course there's a way, if we work together. Do you have any tools on you? They emptied both. 
both of our pockets before putting us in here. But I've got a couple dozen hairpins. Oh, but how are we going to cut through a steel door with hairpins? It's hopeless. No, Dick. We have to keep our heads and work through the problem. Oh, what good are our heads without something for our hands to work with? Maybe you're right. Maybe we have no hope at all. But you're crying again. No, we need to keep trying. Do you really think we can do it? Of course we can. Where there's a will, there's a way. Good. Then we just need to assess the situation and work with what we've got. Oh, but we have nothing. Not even a grenade or a plasma drill or a hacksaw. So I'm going to have to keep crying the whole time to keep you motivated? What was that? You're right. We're doomed. No, we're never doomed. When we have our wits and each other. Okay, so we just need to formulate a plan. What? You said you had some hairpins. Yes. Maybe we can use one of them to loosen the screws on the legs of the bed. And if we can get that free, we can use it to... And as our heroes work out a plan to free themselves from the grim gulag, it's time to check in with the traitorous Professor Willis in the beautiful and intricately detailed conference room. Don't worry, we won't waste your time describing it to you again this week, as he conspires with the frogmen against his own species. Thank you for agreeing to meet with us in private. I am Gorwaz from the Diplomatic Corps, and this is Malwus, a representative of our scientific community. I'm so glad we stumbled backward into making contact with your species here. It is truly wonderful to see your advanced technology and civilization. We are very happy to make official contact with your species as well, even if the circumstances aren't what we would have hoped they would be. Oh, you don't need to flatter me. I know full well that meeting and interacting with humans for you must be like us interacting with chimpanzees or dolphins. They're charming animals and not utterly devoid of intelligence, but at the end of the day, they're not mentally equal to even our children. Oh, not at all. With the progress we've seen you make over the last several hundred years, the experience is more similar to watching a treasured younger sibling. Progress. Sure, there have been some incremental advances in technology, but in the last 30 years that we've been exploring and colonizing the inner solar system, what has been our most impressive feat? The use of primitive explosion-based propulsion to belch our way from rock to rock? It is quite impressive to see how much you've accomplished with such simple... Our terraforming efforts? The sheer audacity of arriving on another planet and deciding that the only thing to be done is remake the whole thing in the image of our holy mother Earth? Uh, the sheer ability of humans to adapt to that range of temperatures and conditions is no mean feat. Why, Neptune is such a stable environment that our species has evolved to exist in such an extremely narrow band of temperature- See the humans! See their path of destruction. The clear cutting of Venusian jungle. A rather small area of the globe, actually. If the humans left it, it would fill in remarkably quick. Watch them crash comets and icy asteroids into Mars to restore its water. A rather inspired idea. Besides, the Martians have been extinct for thousands. And whoopsie! Accidentally killing off the native spider-like inhabitants of Io by bringing in bacteria they had no defense against. A rather regrettable mistake, although conflict between your species would have been inevitable. The Grandoges were a very aggressive species. And we didn't even know what they were called. You know, 
The more I think about it, the more Io looks like a metaphor for the entire expansion of the human race. We blunder into each new planet as convinced of the primacy of our lives and environmental needs as those bacteria, and is likely to bring the whole system into peril of death. We blast our way from rock to rock with our grand ambitions of searching out life and civilizations, and until now we've done nothing but clear vegetation and replace it with concrete garbage. If I weren't fully aware of the willingness of our ignorance as a species, I would chalk it up to simple stupidity. But no, we've seen the damage our kind causes with our technology. If we learn nothing else from our industrial revolution, we should have learned as much as we need to know from our filthy air and suitcase cities. That was an extremely impressive leap in technology with an extremely short time, though. It really made us take notice. Our precious and entirely decorative white marble architecture, permanently stained black and gray. It looked to us like a lot of those soot stains had been cleaned. And don't get me started on the ecological destruction we've wreaked on our own planet. This cultural analysis is all well and good, but that's not why we wanted to meet with you. No doubt you want my help to plan your attack on GIF in retaliation for our presence here. Of course not! We can clearly see now that this whole thing has been a terrible misunderstanding. Your people had no way of knowing that their use of sonar on our planet would cause such problems with our technology and architecture. Of course. It was all a misunderstanding. Yes, I'm glad we're on the same page. The kind of unfortunate mistake it will be when your laser scanning tools are accidentally turned up too high and melt through the hole of the nearest GIF outpost. But the scanning lasers can't be boosted with enough power to cause that kind of damage. Yes, just like that. Uh, Wow, is that the time? We should probably get the uh, other humans brought up here so you can be on your way. Say no more. You can count on me. I can give you any technical information you need about Jif spacecraft. Yes, that will be very useful for our future peaceful interactions. Malwus, could you have a technician take the professor here to a more uh, comfortable room while we wait for the other humans to arrive? Uh, right away. Say, is there any chance I could spend the time looking through more information about your stunning and unique city? I'm so fascinated with the way you blend architecture, art, and technology to create a dynamic but cozy living space that would be impossible to imagine if you had never seen it, or at least heard it described to you. Uh, That can certainly be arranged. (laughs) How could Professor Willis return so easily to his evil ways? It's almost as if his time as an ally of Dick Rogers has meant nothing at all. But before we return to our stalwart hero and his distressed damsel, it's time for a word from our sponsor. We all know that a man's home is his castle, but if you've ever had the opportunity to visit and explore a real castle, you may have noticed that in many ways our humble modern domiciles put those stately stone fortresses to shame. And many of the things we take for granted today are made possible by the wonders of lead. The first thing that probably crossed your mind is the marvel of indoor plumbing. Your castle-dwelling forebears never progressed farther than the dubious convenience of chamber pots or what amounted to indoor outhouses. 
but lead pipes bring water from sources sometimes miles distant into your home and conduct the unseemly waste away in quiet majesty. But that's not all. Lead is also a vital ingredient in many things that make your home more beautiful to the eye. From the paint on your walls, to decorative glaze on ceramics, and even fine leaded crystal drinkware and ornaments. The way lead leaches comfort into every aspect of modern life is dizzying. And now we return to those dynamic do-gooders as they finalize their thrilling plan to escape from their place of confinement. And once you're done winding the strips of blanket into a rope, I'll attach it to the leg I've removed from the bed and- You can throw it up to the ventilation grating in the ceiling and the two of us will pull it down! And once we have that open, we can climb up into the ducks and follow, follow them, them to, to freedom. freedom! Oh, Leslie, your intelligence is second only to your beauty. I know we decided that we can't be together unless you get your father's blessing, but if we make it out of this alive, I don't think there's a man or monster on this solar system that will be able to keep me from you. I feel the same way. But maybe before we put this plan into action, I could ask you for one small thing? Anything, Leslie. If you want the moon, I'll fly back to Earth and bring it to you. Oh, all I need right now is a kiss for good luck. Just try and stop me. But just that moment, the door swung open to reveal a hideous Neptunian guard with a tray of food and drinks. I have been sent to bring you up to meet with a representative of the Diplomatic Corps. Uh, sorry about the cells, by the way. This is the day the guest rooms are being cleaned, and we weren't sure where to put... Oh, oh Dick! You really got the drop on him! At some point, these vicious monsters will stop underestimating us. But I intend to be out of here before that happens. And now, that good luck kiss... No time! Who knows how many other guards are on their way down here? Uh, of course. Check to see if that thing was carrying any keys. Here they are. Let's get going. I want to find the scientists, commandeer a ship, and get out of orbit before they realize we're gone. What about my father? If we run into him on the way off the planet, we'll deal with that traitor as gently as we can. I guess that's the best I could hope for. I'll go first, but stay close behind me. As close as I can. As the two of them practically flew out the door and down fascinating and sumptuous corridors, the likes of which simple earthlings could never conceive, they did their best to backtrack the path they had been brought down to get to the cell in the first place. I think we're almost to the cells they had our captured scientists in. It was lucky for us that they gave away their location. I'm pretty sure they were just trying to reassure us that the crew of the science outpost was safe before starting negotiations. I still say it was a strategic mistake on their part. They should have known we'd never negotiate with savage ogres like them. I'm pretty sure this is the door. You're right, Leslie. And not to belabor the point, but have you ever seen a more exquisite and singular doors the Neptunians have? Oh, I know what you mean. I would feel lucky just to have had them described to me, much less having been able to see them in person. Anyway, give me that key ring. I'll set them free. Here you go. Wait, just a second. Why would they leave it unlocked? You never know with these mindless beasts. Mindless beasts? With technology that makes ours look like children's toys? You may be onto something. It could also be a trap. Hey... Are you here to take us to the meeting? Meeting? Of course. Come with us. Yes, and come quick. They could catch us at any moment. 
catch us? Never mind. Just hurry. And soon they had the whole crew that the Neptunians had removed from the science outpost with them as they moved stealthily through the alien hallways, so different from those they were used to. But we won't waste your time re-describing them to you since we went into such detail in episode two. Always one chance encounter away from discovery. But luck was with them that day. Soon they found themselves outside the very conference room in which the professor had been speaking with the Neptunian diplomats and scientists. Just then the door slid open. Ah, there you are. We were hoping you could find your way back. It seems like the guard we sent to bring you back had some sort of accident. The same kind of accident you'll have if you try to keep me from leaving this planet. I wouldn't dream of keeping you here against your will. Yes, we've been discussing what is to be done with you. Does your treachery know no end? Ah, but how to dispose of you is just the beginning of the plans that my good friend Gordon and I... Uh, That's Gorwas. Of course, Gordon. It's all very Gorwas. Anyway, we've decided to do to you what I helped you do to those smugglers we ran into on Callisto. Ah, yes. Callisto. How could I forget? But how could you bear to do that to me and your own daughter? Ah, yes. It would be a shame to lose such a promising mind as hers. But you've poisoned it with your morals and ideals. And as for you... I've been waiting for an opportunity like this for longer than you can imagine. You bastard. And with that, Dick leapt to attack the professor, but he was held back by several of the scientists. This has all gotten out of hand. Guards, please escort these humans to the nearest shuttle. Yes, take them away. All the humans? And with that, the same kind of battle-ready guards who had brought Dick and his now-fractured crew down to the planet originally entered the room, clanking with weapons and started dragging Dick out while menacing the others to follow. You can't do this to us, you monsters! The people of Earth will not be disrespected like this! And now, listeners, I know you're practically foaming at the mouth to finally discover how our three-part mystery will conclude. But we'll have to let the curiosity slowly build up in your bodies to nearly lethal levels while we have another word from our sponsor. One of the singularly wonderful things about this great country is the ability of the average man to get into his own personal vehicle and drive a relatively short distance and end up in totally unspoiled nature. And that man can also load up his personal constitutionally guaranteed firearms and do some hunting when he arrives. And more than you might realize, lead makes both of these things possible. From the lead added to his gasoline to make his car's engine run smoother, to the lead core in the car battery, he'd never have made it into the sanctity of nature. And without the lead in his ammunition, he'd never be able to supplement his family's food needs by hunting and killing wild game. Lead helps feed your family in other ways, through its use in insecticides protecting our crops. And it also protects us through its use in radiation shielding and sheathing around vital cables that convey communication and electricity. I know you've heard the saying, as American as apple pie, but since that pie was probably baked in a lead crystal pie plate and the apples were kept free from insects through the use of lead-based insecticide, maybe the saying should be, as American as lead. And with no further ado, we bring you the riveting conclusion of our story. 
The guards herded the scientists along with our cadre of courage to a massive hangar building, brimming with the kind of fantastic space-faring vessels we described in detail during the second episode of our story. But as several of the guards peeled away to make the shuttle ready... Now, Professor! And with that, the professor grabbed a weapon from the nearest guard and threw it to Dick, who turned and blasted the next guard. And in a matter of moments, the two of them and Leslie had disarmed and disabled the remaining guards. Just like Callisto, you crafty old devil. You did have me worried for a second there. I thought I had acted the part of the traitor too well. You had me convinced right up until that moment. We really better hurry. That wasn't exactly silent, and more guards could be on the way any moment. You're right, Leslie. Everyone, to the shuttle! Wait, Dick. Not that shuttle. We'll need the weapons on this one. Good thinking. All aboard! And with that, our heroes, along with a 20-member crew of the science outpost, piled into the shuttle and blasted off through the intricate air to water membranes we also described in detail in Episode 2 on their way off the planet. Professor, do you know how to use the sensors on this vessel? I need to man the weapons. While I was waiting for them to bring you back up, I was able to call up some schematics. I found a weak spot. If I fire one of the torpedoes on the ship into it, it will disable the whole power grid. That's some mighty crafty thinking. I just better hope you never do turn traitor on me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get on the sensors, Dick. Let me know if we're being followed. Let's see here. No, it looks like they haven't scrambled anyone after us yet. Good to hear. Let's not get overconfident yet. It's a long way back up to the Gladys. But Lady Luck must have been with them because as they made their way around to the weak spot the professor had identified, the sensors never showed signs of pursuit. Okay, hold us steady, Dick. We're in range. Do it, Professor. And as the sleek, silvery torpedo sped along the path to its intended target, Dick brought the shuttle back onto its course to escape the planet. Leslie, are you tracking the torpedo? Yes, I've got visual on it. It's almost there! Direct hit! (laughs) (laughs) The shuttle tore free of the watery embrace of Neptune on its trajectory towards the Gladys, while behind them, the electrical grid of the aquatic city they had fled pulsed and crackled. There were several smaller explosions, and then everything went dark. It worked like a charm, Father! I don't believe they could send a ship after us now, no matter how hard they tried! Of course it worked! I never make mistakes where technology is concerned. And in what seemed like no time at all, they had docked with the Gladys and transferred over. You and your crew can use the cargo bay for now. It'll take us a little time to get to the next outpost. Thank you, Dick. Uh, Although I really think they were letting us go. No need to thank me. It's all in a day's work for a space detective. Dick, you better get to the controls. I'm getting some strange energy readings from the planet. I'll be right there. Dick took the controls of the Gladys and steered her off toward the inner solar system at mind-boggling speed. Behind them, Leslie watched the cool blue orb of Neptune change color first to a dull orange, then up through yellow to a blinding white, and then explode. In the most breathtaking display she or the rest of the crew had ever seen. The whole planet. It's almost a shame. I can't believe a small torpedo like that could do that kind of damage. Well, I told you I'd found the city's weak spot. You also told us that it would disable that power grid. What happened to you never making mistakes with technology? I don't. This was just a little... miscalculation. (laughs) Oh, Dad! (laughs) And that's it. The conclusion of our three-part epic, Dick Rogers vs. the Frogmen of Neptune. 
What thrilling hijinks will our brave crew get into next time? To find out, you'll have to tune in for more adventures of Dick Rogers, Space Detective. Well, that escalated quickly. I mean, I know that Neptune isn't really a ball of water, and even if it was, you wouldn't just be able to blow it up like that. But it makes you wonder what the ramifications would be, solar system-wise, if one of the gas giants did end up exploding. It might make you wonder. Yeah, do you think it would form some sort of system-spanning ring? Or maybe it would scatter and be absorbed into the other outer solar system bodies? I'm pretty sure it'd be too far out to affect Earth much. And Jupiter's gravity well would probably soak up almost all of the debris that came toward the sun. You know what? You two must be the nerdiest nerds members we've got. All I wonder about is how awesome it would look in the movie version. Wide shot of the planet. The colors climb from blue to orange to yellow. Tendrils start to branch out. It hits white hot and gets super bright. You can just barely make out the speck of the Gladys zooming out of the frame. And then, kaboom! A planet-shattering explosion! Subwoofers rumbling the theater. Everyone has to cover their ears. That four-year-old that shouldn't have been there in the first place starts crying. Wow. Yeah, come to think of it, that probably would be better in video than audio. And then you watch it at home six months later, and it's so disappointing on your little home TV with the built-in speakers. Mm-mm-mm. Not my home TV and sound system. I've got a dedicated projector room, and you haven't lived until you've heard the organ soundtrack from Interstellar through my hi-fi system. I bet that's almost enough to distract you from how unconvincing Matthew McConaughey is as an astronaut. It doesn't hurt. I liked Interstellar, but wait, we are way off topic. Let's just wrap it up here so folks can get on with their day. Thank you so much for joining us for Dick Rogers and the finale of The Frogmen. Make sure to let literally every being you interact with know just how much fun this podcast is. And follow us on social media. Hit him with the handle, Skeevy Mike. We're on Facebook at Dick Rogers Pod, on Instagram at Dick Rogers Space Detective, and Twitter at Roger Space. And you can join the nerds on Patreon at patreon.com slash space underscore detective. And make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And maybe leave us a five-star rating if you think about it. But be sure to join us for your next dick appointment. Same space time, same space place. This episode's nerds are Wendy Woolworth as Joanna and Gorwas, Michael Storm as Mike Nutley and Molus, Angela Ventress as Eleanor and Leslie, Erica Wilson as Announcer, Logan Wright as Dick Rogers, Emily Anderson as Professor Willis, and Nick Johnson as Guard and Scientist One. Dick Rogers in the finale of The Frogmen was written by Nicholas Johnson. Sound designed by Michael Storm, music by Nicholas Johnson, audio editing by Nicholas Johnson.